Thank you. All right, Romans 15. Let's turn there. You have the best pastor in the whole world, and you have the second best pastor's wife in the whole world. Amen. <laughs> Is it okay to say that? Uh, no, I, listen, if I have ever been in a church service more electric than this one, I don't know when it was or where it was. Uh, whew, you guys are on fire. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, I have been in churches where, uh, the people on the platform whip up the crowd. Uh, but I think you folks whip up the people on the platform. <laughs> and so, uh, I love that. I love that. This is absolutely fantastic. And, uh, I just can't hardly get over it. I, I really can't. And, I am, I am so excited to preach to you this morning. I, I don't even know how to tell you how excited I am, but I can't until I just take a minute and, uh, and just say a couple of things really quick. Number one, I gotta say that, um, uh, Pastor Richard, he sure, he acts like he loves us, and I think he does. I really do. But I gotta tell you, my wife and I, uh, love them. They, uh, they, they're too old to be like our kids. Right? But if they could just go back, you know, maybe like seven or eight years, they would be like our children. I, I, uh, I, I just, we adore them. We really do. And we have from day number one uh, uh, at the couples conference, uh, Pastor Lejeune mentioned uh, our, uh, our first time meeting each other in Olive Garden. And it's like God just knit our hearts uh, at that time. Um, uh, I, we even found out that we like the same sports teams, okay? By and large, now he is an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, which I am not. Okay, I just think that part is just terrible. But that's the only thing. That's the only thing I got against the the man. But um, uh, oh my goodness, the memories that that we have uh, together have just been phenomenal. And also, uh, and I've I've talked about that all weekend long. But I got to take this another step, and that is Andrew and Callie. Uh, where, where did they run off to? Are they, are they back doing the, ch- okay. Well, their parents are here, okay. And, oh, there's Callie, okay, alright. Uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, um, um, when Joseph, our youngest, went off to college, um, I, I'm not gonna go as far as say I was worried, okay, because Joseph's always been a good kid, he really has, but, uh, Joseph was somewhat impressionable, okay, and, um, uh, and, you know, listen, a Christian college, it's not like everybody there is, you know, the Apostle Paul, okay? And, uh, you know, there, there are good and bad influences there, just like any other place, and, um, and we were just concerned, you know? And, um, so Joseph made, uh, three friends very quickly, and they called themselves the lads, okay? And uh, the lads, uh, is Joseph, another boy from Pittsburgh named Kenny, and uh, another boy from Arizona, he's now in Florida, named Justin, uh, who um, has the nickname of Nitsudge, okay, because Justin spelled back, uh, I, and anyway, uh, that's a long story, but, uh, but the leader of the lads was Andrew, okay, the leader of the lads, and I kept hearing about Kenny and Justin, but I kept hearing a lot about, about Andrew, and and I thought, okay, they sound like great guys, but when I met Andrew, I gotta tell you, I had a peace in my heart that Joseph has fallen into the right crowd. And I gotta tell you this, Joseph is doing an amazing job in our church. I mean, he has taken on responsibilities and he is, he's preaching today. He, I, I mean, the guy, he is 
blossomed in the Lord. And I'm going to give an, an, an enormous amount of credit to Andrew and to Callie. And uh, I will also say this, Callie, he has so much respect for you that qualities that are in you are qualities that he is finding in his new little romance. Amen. And so uh, this is not being recorded, is it? Oh, it is. Oh, no. Okay. All right. So, Callie, thank you for what you've done for him and Andrew. And All right. You didn't come here to hear me reminisce, did you? You came here to get something from the Bible. So let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, I'm going to read in just a minute. I want to read um, Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 8 through 14. And if you want to kind of block those verses out in your, in your eyes uh, there as you look down 8 through 14. Verse 13 is going to be our text today. Uh, but the sermon is going to cover 8 down to 14. And uh, let me just share um, um, something today that... Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question here, okay? Have, have, you ever, um, have you ever been reading the Bible, okay? And as you're reading through, you come across a passage that you, you assume you've read it before, but you just don't remember ever reading it before. But you're kind of like... How about I ever seen that? You know? Now, I got, I got to admit, in Romans 15, there is a partial excuse that I did not register with this uh, for uh, 50 years of my life. And that is that most people, when they study the book of Romans, they stop at chapter 12. Okay? I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I, I have no idea why it is, but it's almost like Romans 13, 14, 15, and 16 get zero from Christians, and uh, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I'm guilty of that. Um, and part of it could be that um, uh, Romans 1, uh, chapters 1 through 10 and 11 and 12 are just so rich and deep that maybe we're just out of gas when we get to those latter chapters. Maybe, all right, we'll give ourselves a benefit of the doubt on this. But I was reading Romans chapter 15 one day, and I came across 8 through 14, and, and I thought, where has that been my whole life and it, it totally fit where I was in life at that time. Now, how many of you have ever been there? Okay, where a passage and you and now it all comes together. Like, I cannot believe that, that Paul, all those centuries ago, wrote that. And here I am today reading that. And wow, okay. So I was at a very uh, crucial time in my life. And uh, verse 13 grabbed me and I highlighted it and underlined and, 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 and let it absorb down into my soul. So let me just start reading 8 through 14. And uh, when we all get down to verse 13, I want you to be sure you pay close attention. But here we go. Verse 8 uh, says, uh, Now I say that Jesus Christ was minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Verse 9, and that uh, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Verse 10, and again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord all ye Gentiles. By the way, if, if, um, if, you're, if you're Jewish, then you're a descendant of Abraham and you're one of God's chosen people because that, that doesn't mean you're guaranteed heaven. You've got to get saved just like everybody else. But uh, most of us probably are not Jewish. That means when it's talking about Gentile, that's talking about me <laughs> and you, okay? We are privileged by God to get in on this, okay? Um, but verse 11 again, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud. The word laud is the idea of applaud, 
Everybody follow me here. Laud, applaud Him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he uh, that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now here's our text today, verse 13. Now the God of hope. Can we say those three words together? God of hope. Let's, that sounded good. Let's do that again. God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Can everybody understand why when a man is going through the deepest trial of his life and he stumbles across verse 13, can you all kind of understand why that would resonate? Are you with me here? And then verse 14, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Now, as we work our way through this today, I'll I'll give you some things to underline that might have come across to you as a tad bit wordy as I read it, but hopefully by the time we get down to the end of it, it will mean to you what it meant to me a few years ago. Okay, let me pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, we're grateful that we could be in church today. And God, I'm grateful for a, a, a wonderful spirit in this church. And God, I pray that this idea of hope, as it is given through your word, would grab our souls and squeeze them real tight today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, in just a minute, I, I'm going to share with you five thoughts out of this passage about hope. Okay, the title of the sermon, Hope Is. And I want to talk to you about hope. And uh, uh, ha- have any of you ever been in a situation where you, where you may have felt like there's no hope of this getting fixed? Anybody here ever been there? There, I do not see an exit strategy. I do not see a way out. I don't see how this is ever going to improve. I don't. I, I, I'm not seeing this ever being okay. All right? Am I? Am I the only one? Okay. All right. A number of you. Uh, let me tell you a quick story before I get into the outline. So there was a university years ago. That and by the way, quick time out here on, on my story. This, I, this is nasty. Okay, <laughs> this is a really nasty story. I just want to brace you for this. And y'all got to go eat lunch after I tell this story, okay? So can I just give you my apologies right now, all right? But it, it makes a great point, okay? So in this university, this nasty story, um, they, they were doing a study and they were using rats in the story. And uh, so what they did is they took a rat and they put the rat in a tub of water and they wanted to see how long that rat could tread water before it drowned. Now, I told you that's gross. I'm not, and I'm not even saying that's okay to do that. I'm not. Uh, but, that, but that's what they did. They just wanted to see how long it would take. And it took just a hair over an hour before that rat just gave up and just said, forget it. I, I, there's no way out of this. I, I can't. Uh, I can't tread water. I can't just keep kicking my four little legs forever. I can't keep my little nose above water forever. And so just a hair after an hour, that rat just said, forget it, and just sank to the bottom, gulped in the water, and died. And, uh, and of course, all these um, scientists are standing around the tub of water, and they're all taking notes of every little detail that they're watching and analyzing. Well, the next day... They took a, another rat that looked to be about the same size, same age. Everything seemed to be identical between the two rats. And they put the second rat 
in the water, and they watched that second rat tread water for an hour. And they assumed that at the one-hour point, that rat was probably about that close to giving up. And so what they did is right before that rat gave up, they reached in and they got this wet, exhausted, soaking wet, frustrated rat, took him out of the tub of water, and they very lovingly and gently dried him off, and they gave him something to eat. They put him in a really warm little spot where he could lay down with some heat lamps down on him. And for the next day, they treated that rat like royalty. And then the next day, they put him back in the water. Now, wait a minute. Because you're going to see sometimes that we resemble rats. <laughs> okay. They put the rat back in the water the next day, and they left him in there for an hour and a half. Yeah. He outlasted the first rat. At an hour and a half, they took him out. And they dried him off. And they warmed him up. And they gave him something to eat. And they treated him like royalty. The next day, they put him back in the water. And after two hours, twice as long as the other rat, after two hours, they took him out, dried him off, gave him something to eat, warmed him up. The next day, three hours. The next day, four. The next day, five and six and seven and eight. And they found that after 20 hours of treading water, 20 hours of struggling and fighting, they said, you know what, we're just not even going to try to see how much longer that rat can go. But they found out that the second rat could go 20 hours in water, whereas the first rat could only go one hour. Now listen... What is the difference between rat one and rat two? The difference is hope. The second rat knew that eventually somebody's coming along and they're going to get me out of this. Eventually, I've got a nice warm meal to eat. Eventually, I've got a towel to get wrapped up in. Eventually, I've got a comfortable place to sleep. Everything eventually is going to be okay. But the first rat that did not have hope just said, forget it. Forget it. And what I'm trying to say to you is that the Bible refers to God as a lot of things. But in Romans 15, the Bible refers to God as the God of of hope. The God of hope. And I am thankful that He is the God of so many things to me. But He is my hope. And I know that I can tread water. I know I can fight through horrific circumstances. I can fight through situations that are ugly and dire and frustrating. And I know that He has gotten me out of those issues before and He will get me out of them again the next time. And that is what Romans chapter 15 is about. It is about hope. Now, here's what I, by the way, before I get into the, the heart of the sermon, can you go back just a couple of pages to chapter 8? Chapter 8 and verse number 24. Oh, this is really good. Uh, chapter 8 is known as the Spirit chapter because uh, the Spirit of God is referred to over and over and over. In fact, I highlighted the word Spirit every time it's used in chapter 8. And, uh, and, and, and green highlighter, and, my, and there's green dots all over Romans chapter 8. But right in the middle of that, verse number 24, the Bible says, For we are saved by hope. We are saved by hope. We are, listen, we are not saved by sight. 
You're not saved by what you see. You're saved by what you know is there that you don't see. But he said, we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he get hope for? You say, Pastor King, I want to I see God do something in my life. God, God sometimes gives you some visible something or other you can hang on to. Sometimes God will give you something tangible you can hang on to. But what God wants to see most of you is faith. And that you trust Him even though the times are dark. So let me get into the outline today. Uh, if you uh, go back to Romans chapter 15, five things I'll give you. Number one, uh, hope is based on promises. Hope is based on promises. Verse number 8, I read to you a minute ago where it says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Look at this last part. To confirm the promises made unto the fathers. Now, Jesus said himself that he did not come to destroy the law but to fulfill it. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the confirmation of the promises of God. And we love to sing that old song, Standing on the Promises of God, my Savior. Amen. I mean, you love that old song. I love it too. And so, um, hope is based on Promises. Let me just rattle this off at you. First Kings chapter five verse fifty six in the middle verse says, "There hath not failed one word of all his good promise." What a great statement! Not one word has failed. Uh, Psalm one hundred eleven verse seven. The end of the verse says, "All his commandments are sure." Ezekiel twelve twenty five. For I am the Lord; I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. Luke twenty one thirty three heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Hope is based on promises. You can't always see that everything's going to be okay, but if God says it is, then it is. Now, my um, my daughter uh, Bethany, she just got married, moved to British Columbia in Canada. Everybody says, "Wow, <laughs> yeah, long ways from home." Uh, she used to be a kindergarten teacher, and. Uh, um, uh, and, uh, so she, uh, in fact, for a while she taught K3. I mean, them little guys, you know, teeny tiny little guys, all right? So, um, uh, with that in mind, one night my wife and I were out for a walk, and we're walking along, and, and, uh, I'll tell you this, my wife is the most perfect woman in the world except for one thing. Would you like to know what that one thing is? That one thing, she's scared of dogs. She is, she is petrified. Anybody here scared of dogs? Okay, uh, so what kind of dog she's scared of? The answer is yes. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, she, she, and now if she, if, if she can get cozied up to one, she loves them. But if she doesn't know them, she is mortified. It's, it's awful. And so we have gone on visitation together for our entire marriage and prior to marriage. And we have never gone on visitation that she has, has not squeezed my hand really tight, which I kind of like that. But then she said, so you think they got a dog? You think they got a dog in there? And, and uh, at first I would say, probably. I don't do that. <laughs> All right. I ain't doing that. I'm, I've learned I don't joke about this, okay, because her fear of dogs is real, okay? And um, so one night we're out on visitation, and, um, and, and, and she says what she has said at least millions of other times. You think they got a dog? You think they got a dog? And, and, and it dawned on me. My daughter is a kindergarten teacher. And I said, honey, I said, there are very few dogs bigger than Bethany's kindergarten students. Right? I said, now, if one of Bethany's kindergarten students 
was rushing to attack you, I think I could take them. <laughs> I think I could. I wouldn't hurt them, but I really think I could protect my wife from a kindergartner. I really believe I, the biggest kindergartner. I think I could, I, I think I could at least, at least hold off that kindergartner so that my wife could climb a tree or, or slip down into a, a stormwater drainage ditch or, you know, or find a police officer or, or something, okay? But I, I, I said, honey, I said, what you need is you need your trust in me to be bigger than your fear of dogs. Right? Because I can handle them. I can handle them. Okay? Now, there's something else. You know, there's one place we used to walk where there were bear sightings. And and she said, well, what would you do if a bear came out? And and I thought, I'd run. And she said, said, you can't outrun a bear. I said, but I can outrun you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I was joking. I'll wrestle a bear for that woman. Amen? I would. I don't think I would win. But I do think that I am fat enough that a bear would be satisfied after eating me where she wouldn't want. Right, okay. So, but listen, uh, hope is based on promises. Hope is based on promises. So whatever it is that's got you so worked up and so got you so bothered and got you so worried and got you so upset and got you so discouraged and depressed and frustrated. And How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Your trust in God has got to be greater than your fear of that. Alright? And once you get to the point where you see that God is trustworthy and God is able and God is there and God can help you, then your fear of all these other things can go away. So number one, hope is based on trust. Number two, hope is found among God's people. Hope is found among God's people. God does not call people to be spiritual lone rangers. Okay? Uh, God has called you to be in a group of people. And your particular group of people has a name. White Oak Baptist Church. Hope is found among God's people. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written uh, for this cause. I will confess to thee among. Can we all say that word? Among. I will confess to thee, what is it? Among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with. What's that word? With. With His people. Among the people, with his people. And you might say, Pastor, I'm just really struggling with hope. If you're struggling to have the hope in God that you need, it might be because you are not among and with the people of God like you ought to be. Okay? Uh, listen, there are certain, um, there are certain practices you have to have to, uh, to live the Christian life well. Okay, there are certain practices that you have to have. There's got to be certain behavior, certain things you do and don't do. There's got to be Bible reading. Can I get an amen to that? Uh, there's got to be prayer. You need to, uh, you say, well, it just feels kind of weird, like I'm just, you know, all by myself talking. No, you're not all by yourself talking. You're talking to the Lord. Right? But there's got to be Bible reading, prayer, there's the behavior, there's uh, witnessing, there's giving. There's a lot of things. But of all of the behaviors and the activities of Christian living, I believe after 35 years of ministry, the most important one is church attendance. I really believe that. 
And you might say, church attendance is more important than prayer? Yes. Yes. Because when you forget to pray, guess where you go to get reminded to pray? Church. Say, are you serious? You're saying church attendance is, is more important than Bible reading? Yes. Because when you forget to read your Bible, guess where you go to get reminded to read your Bible? Church. You say, well, you say that church attendance is more important than giving? Yes. Because guess where you got to go to give? I mean, do I need to keep... So you, listen, everything that there is in Christian living that you need to do, church is the hub of the wheel. Now, you might be able to make the wheel turn with a spoke or two missing, but you will not make that wheel turn if the hub of the wheel is missing. Church is the hub of your wheel. And here Paul is writing to this church in Rome and he's saying, listen, we have a God of all hope. We have a God of all hope and I understand you all have difficult times. By the way, Rome, you remember the big building in Rome? The Colosseum? You know? You know, they would take Christians down there and they would strap them onto a, a, a big pole and, and, and they would, the straps were, were rags and they would have oil all over the rags and they'd light, and that's how they would light up the Colosseum in Rome by burning Christians, okay? Um, the, uh, one of the sports in the Roman Colosseum was to put Christians out there and, and in the middle of the, the, the playing field and then they would lose hungry lions to run out there and eat them while all the thousands of fans would cheer them on. And Paul is writing to those people and he's saying, you need to go to church because there's hope to be found in the Lord. But if you don't go to church, you're going to forget all about the hope you need. Hope is found among God's people. It's found among God's people. Listen, i got to tell you, I, I am beyond thrilled at what the Lord is doing at White Oak Baptist Church. And part of what I am, uh, uh, the reason why I'm thrilled is because it's not, it's not an entertainment, ego-driven church. And I'm not trying to be unkind or critical to anybody else. I promise you, I'm not. That is just not the way my heart operates. But I will say that there are a lot of churches that everything you see up here, it's a show, it's a show, it's a show. And now they're, they're doing uh, smoke machines and, you know. Listen, I, I, I know of a church that literally spent a quarter of a million dollars on the LED lights. quarter of a million dollars on LED lights. And I believe, believe me, I get financial considerations of a church ministry. We need an elevator in our church too, and it ain't happening. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know. I mean, believe me, that the same conversations you've had here, the conversations we've had there, and it's like, how how's that going? Uh, you, you understand? But I'll tell you this: we ain't putting no quarter million dollars in LEDs just to make all y'all stay awake during a sermon. Listen, if you can't stay awake during the sermon because it's Bible, then a quarter of a million dollars in LED lights is really not going to put you where you need to be spiritually. And what in the world is this fake smoke about? You know, listen, what you need, what you need, what you need is hope in the Lord, and it is found among God's people. Number three, number three, hope is pulled out by praise. It is pulled out by praise. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, and again, praise ye, um, uh, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah uh, saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise 
to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, what I've got in my Bible underlined here, verse 11 is praise and laud, and verse 12 is rise, reign, and trust. So let me say those words again. Verse 11 is praise and laud. I've got them underlined. Verse 12, rise, reign, and trust. That means that hope is pulled out of us by praise. You say, well, I will praise the Lord when this all works out. That's not how it works. You're getting the cart before the horse. You praise the Lord before it all works out. Before it all works out. Um, you know how easy it is to praise the Lord when everything works out great? And I'll also say this, a lot of these folks that in their mind they're thinking, oh, I'll really praise God whenever I get that big raise. Oh, I'll really praise God when I get that big promotion. I'll really praise God whenever my wife starts behaving. I'll really praise God whenever my husband starts acting civilized. I'll really praise God whenever my kids clean their room. If it ever does happen, <laughs> you'll probably start praising yourself because of what a good job you did to make it all happen. You've got to praise the Lord before. I love the story of Jericho, uh, Joshua and Jericho. Remember, they, they marched around the city one time a day for six days, and then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. And when they finished that seventh lap around, uh, and they weren't to say a word, you don't make a peep, don't make a peep. But then he said, when you finish that last lap on day number seven, I want you to blow the trumpets and shout. And then the walls will fall down. And I can just imagine one of them in the back of the crowd probably was thinking, how about maybe if, if, if the walls come down and then we shout? Wouldn't that make more sense? Oh, I'll praise the Lord when they come down. Listen, you've got to praise the Lord for them to come down. All right? I'm telling you right now, that wall's probably not coming down until you start praising the Lord. Hope is pulled out by praise. You praise the Lord when you don't feel like praising the Lord. Okay? And I'll tell you, it does, you don't have to praise the Lord very long insincerely before you start praising Him sincerely. So you're trying to tell Him to be hypocritical? I'm just telling you, some of these songs that we sing in here, just start singing them even when you don't feel it. And then a few minutes later, maybe you'll start feeling it. But hope is pulled out by praise. It's pulled out. Listen, God is glorified when discouraged people start praising Him. God is deeply glorified in that. So we've seen so far, hope is based on promises. It's found among God's people. It's pulled out by praise. Only two more, but I do have a very long story to give you <laughs> at the end. All right, uh, Number four, it comes in pieces. It comes in pieces. Look at verse 13. Verse number 13. Hope comes in pieces. You say, well, what pieces are they? Verse 13 it says, now uh, the God of hope fill you. All right, God is the God of hope. But we want Him to fill us with what? Alright? God will fill you with joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace in believing. Joy, peace, believing. What I have on my notes right here is those are the ingredients. Those are the ingredients. Um, I, I was born uh, near St. Louis, Missouri, and um, uh, just, just south Grew up just east of St. Louis, and uh, so I always wanted my, my wife and my kids to have some kind of a connection to St. Louis. It just kind of 
you know, as part of me. And so we were in St. Louis one time and we bought a, a puzzle uh, of the skyline of St. Louis with the, the baseball stadium and the arch and all that kind of stuff. And the sun was setting, the sky was purple, and it was just really cool, you know. Anybody, anybody here ever been to St. Louis? Anybody? It, isn't, it, isn't that a neat place? You know, that arch. Anybody here ever been up in the arch? Okay, a couple of you have. All right. Were you scared? All right. I, I, will, I will say this. Up there is not scary, but that little elevator, you, know, you kind of go up and then click, and then you go up and then click. That's a little creepy, okay? But anyway, uh, so one of my kids grew up loving St. Louis, and so we got this puzzle, we brought it home, and, and we're putting the puzzle together, and it's mainly me and my oldest daughter, Alyssa, putting the puzzle together, okay? And um, uh, we got pretty close to the end. We maybe had 10 pieces left, and my oldest son, Kirk, comes over, and, and we got about 10 pieces left, and, and of those 10, I did some, Alyssa did some, and Kurt, I think, did two. And when we put the last piece in, Kurt said, we did it! (laughs) Oh, you didn't do nothing. (laughs) You just jump in here at the very end and take the credit for it. We did it! (laughs) You know, we we moved into a place one time and found a bunch of old puzzles. And uh, boy, I learned a lesson really quick. You don't get started putting a puzzle together with your children that is a used puzzle. Because anybody, can anybody tell me why you don't do that? You know exactly, you've done that, haven't you? Okay, I can tell by looking, you're like, yeah, I did that one time. That was not a good day. Because you, you get down to the end of it, and you don't know that whoever assembled and disassembled put all the pieces back in. And if you're missing one piece out of that puzzle, uh, that is frustrating. That is really, really frustrating. And we live in Niagara Falls now, and I, my, my grandkids are starting to get old enough where they can do puzzles, and I cannot wait to get them a Niagara Falls puzzle, and because um, uh, they just think that's so cool. My granddad lives in the coolest place in Niagara Falls, all right? Like the old Three Stooges skit. Anyway, a couple of you know what that's about. But I cannot wait to start putting that together. I think it's neat. God has a puzzle of hope, and it has three pieces it has three pieces. All these puzzles I'm finding in Niagara Falls, they're all 1,000 pieces. I don't think my grandkids can handle that yet. I don't think they're ready for it. God has a puzzle of hope with three pieces. God understands how dumb we all are. Amen? God understands that if He said, I am offering hope to you, here's a thousand things you've got to have to have hope. We would all say, well, forget it then. I'll just live hopeless. God has a puzzle of hope, and that puzzle has three pieces, joy and peace and believing. I could turn them around backwards and say believing, because if you look at the, uh, the language that is used here uh, with all joy and peace in believing, you could kind of turn that around backwards and say that, that the in believing, that comes first, and then the peace comes from believing, and then once you get the peace, then you get the joy. Does that make sense? Am I getting too technical here? Okay, I don't mean to get so technical. I know it's a morning, and some of y'all were probably up late last night and hadn't had your coffee yet and grouchy. But in believing, that's putting your faith in God. Oh, the peace that you give just by trusting and when you finally get to that point after you have trusted and, and you got the peace, then the joy comes. And when you get believing and peace and joy together, you've put the three pieces of the puzzle together, and it is hope. It is hope. 
All right, one more point and then my story, and, and, then, and then I'm going to turn it back over to your wonderful pastor. Number five, and I'm just going to touch on this one, but number five is um, hope is accompanied by a positive outlook. It's accompanied by a positive outlook. Now, there was a, a man back in the last century that wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking, and it was just dripping with bad doctrine, okay? I mean, it really was dripping with bad doctrine. It, it, it was not a very strong biblical book, but I do love the title. What happened is a lot of people, uh, because there was so much bad doctrine in the book, that they just rejected everything about the book, including the title. And I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. Uh, by, by the way, uh, his, um, his name was Norman Vincent Peale. He wrote the book, and a lot of people uh, would say, I find Peale appalling, but I find Paul appealing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But, um, but the title of the book, there's nothing wrong with the power of positive thinking because you see that in Paul right here. Look at um, verse number 14. He said, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness. Now, there, there's a movement of preachers that love to point out the depravity of man and talk about how we're all evil wretches before God. But Paul said, I'm persuaded of all of you that you're full of goodness. Do you think those people were full of goodness? No! No, well then why did he say that? Because he said, I am persuaded that you are. He didn't say you are full of goodness. He said, I'm persuaded that you're full of goodness. In other words, what Paul was saying is, you know what? I know you people are not perfect, but I choose to see the good. I choose to see the good. Can I tell you what that tells me about Paul? It tells me that he was mature. Because mature people choose to see the good. Choose to see the good. And if you become a person of hope, it becomes a lot easier to see the good. Power of positive thinking. All right. I'm done with my sermon, but I want to tell you a story. And this is a highly personal story. Um, Joe, can you put up uh, the, the first, there are four at the beginning, right? Just Yeah, you, you can just, um, just leave, leave one up for 15, 20 seconds and yeah. So this, this building right here, um, this is the South Carolina Lunatic Asylum. I didn't call it that. That's what they called it, okay? Uh, let, me, uh, let me just take a, a quick minute and, and chat about that. A number of years ago, uh, now my wife and I, we do everything together, uh, including we had a nervous breakdown together. I'm being straight with you. I'm not being silly here. I'm being straight with you. Um, a number of years ago, um, the, the pressures of ministry became so great that we both just collapsed. Um, she was my secretary at church. I, I made her quit because she just couldn't, I couldn't handle what it was doing to her and I couldn't handle what, and I said, honey, you just need to be home and not around. And, um, I'd come home at the end of the day and she's on the floor crying and, and I just want to be on the floor crying. I mean, it was, it was just absolutely horrible. And, um, you know, when you, if, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever had a nervous breakdown, but when you're having a nervous breakdown, you don't know you are until it's over with and you look back and think, that was a nervous. And I'll tell you right now, uh, I've done a lot of study on this and, and this is not hyperbole on my part. I'm telling you the honest truth is what it was. 
I, I resigned my church. Um, uh, and I, I, I didn't have any choice. I mean, they didn't fire me, but I didn't have any choice. I, I told my church when I resigned, I said, folks, there have been people just begging me not to do this. I said, but that's like begging a dead man to breathe. I said, I, I, I can't. I, I couldn't sleep. Um, physically, there were some things in my body that were, that were no longer working. Okay, I mean, just they weren't working anymore. I mean, my body was shutting down. And um, uh, th- there were some folks that pointed out some pretty pretty stupid things I said during that time, and I'm thinking I probably said worse things than that because <laughs> I was just out of control. I mean, I was just out of control. I didn't know what I was going to do. I don't know how to do anything else, okay? I, I'm, I, sometimes you hear some preacher, well, I was going to be a doctor until God called me to preach. <laughs> You don't want to. You don't want me operating on your brain, folks. I don't have to do anything else. Okay, I was 50 years old at the time, and so I, I resigned my church. I did not have another place to go. I do, however, have a friend who lives in South Carolina, about 30 minutes from here, that um, he had a shed in his backyard that they had converted into a guest room. And it had a bathroom. It had a tiny little kitchenette in there. And it was one bedroom. And uh, me and my wife and my youngest son, Joseph, uh, we moved into a shed in my back, in my best friend's backyard. And um, I look back on that now, and I'm thinking, that was quite the move, <laughs> you know? And um, I, I did not know if I ever could pastor again. I didn't know if I ever wanted to pastor again. There was a part of me that said, I am done with this. I'm, I'm done. But there was another part of me, I felt like Jeremiah, that, you know, I, I, I can't do this anymore, but there's a fire in my bones. I, you know, that fire was smoldering, but it was, still, it was still there a little teeny tiny bit. So our friends in South Carolina, we're, uh, we're just, they're, they're trying to help us find things to do to get our mind off of all of the, the struggles we were dealing with and and by the way, our income level had dropped down to zero, <laughs> okay? Um, we, we left where we were. We had $1,200 in the bank. That was it. And that was checking, savings. We had nothing else. All of our bills kept coming. And a year later, guess how much of that $1,200 we had left in the bank? $1,200. <laughs> kind of felt like, Children of Israel, their shoes never wore out in the wilderness. That's kind of what it felt like. And uh, But our friends, the Jeffcoats, they said, you know, hey, something really cool to do is you ought to go to Columbia and, uh, and go walk around the South Carolina Lunatic Asylum. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, I'm afraid they may lock me up in there, <laughs> you know, in, in my condition, all right? And um, so, um, so me and Janet and Joseph, we, we did, and we... Uh, Bull Street in, in, in Columbia, the state capital. We pulled onto the property. We parked the car. And um, um, uh, can you scroll to the next one there, Joe? Don't y'all love Joe? Isn't he a blessing? Man, I love that guy. Yeah, that's okay. Go ahead. That, that one right there, that, that is what we saw. And so we parked the car kind of facing that, you know, several yards ahead over to the right. And, um, and this property is massive. I mean, it is enormous. Uh, it was built to house a thousand um, patients. A thousand. 
And um, at one time, they had 5,000 patients. It was built in 1828, and uh, it closed down in 2003, I believe. I'm pretty sure of that. And um, as we walked around, we could see old beat-up hospital beds. We could see hospital equipment just laying out in there, weeds everywhere. Um, that, that building, uh, at, the, at the beginning, there's a chain-link fence in front of it, and it said, uh, it said, in the last 90 days, X number of people have been arrested for trespassing, and they would change that number every few days uh, uh, as if to say, if you go in here, you're going to jail, Okay. And, of course, we didn't do that, but we walked around where we were allowed to walk. So we went counterclockwise, counterclockwise. And so, Joe, can you show me the, the next to last picture? So uh, as we worked our way around counterclockwise, we were getting back pretty close where the car was. We saw a church building on the state of South Carolina property. And now you've you got to understand, uh, we preachers, we're, we're strange characters, aren't we? I mean, we, we're just wired different, Okay. It doesn't matter where I'm driving down some interstate in Wyoming. If I see a steeple somewhere, I'm just, I wonder what kind of church that is. <laughs> the way we are, okay? I know you may think that, Pastor, that is true. I, I know. So I saw this and I thought, what in the world? They built a church. They built a church building. And let me tell you, they did not spare expense on that. I mean, it is brick and it had stained glass windows. I mean, it, and um, so uh, I said, let's, let's go up on the front. Now, the, the windows were all boarded up with plywood. I said, let's go up on the, on the porch of the church and see if we can peek in a window. And Janet said, I ain't doing that. Got enough problems without going to jail on top. And I'm thinking, well, we got to lose, <laughs> you know, three square meals a day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, me and Joseph, we run up there onto the, the front porch of the church. And sure enough, the, the ledge the window was just a little bit higher than the top of this uh, from the platform. And we stood up on it and could get up on our tiptoes and look over the plywood down into the foyer of the church. And the doors from the foyer to the, the chapel were open. And you could see hymn books in the racks. You could see uh, Bibles in the hymn book racks. You could see the pulpit up there. I mean, it, it was set up that if somebody would just go in there and dust it and mop it, you know, raise the windows for a while, let it air out, you could have church in there in two hours. And I'm standing there and I'm looking, I turn around, I look back at that real ugly abandoned building and I'm thinking, good night. 5,000 patients who feel like they are at the bottom of life. You've got rooms that were built to put two patients that now have ten. And, and you've got uh, reportedly lots of abuse situations that went on there. And, and these people are living in a horrible, horrible environment and place. And in my mind, I'm standing on the front porch of that church. I'm looking back at that massive building. And I'm picturing Sunday morning where a little smattering of them walk out the front doors of that main building uh, turn right and walk down that street, turn left and walk up the sidewalk. And I can just imagine somebody's in there playing an old-fashioned organ or a piano or something in there. And I can just imagine that these people are so down and so frustrated and so discouraged and so uh, painful hearing the music play when they walk in. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. 
Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I, I can just imagine these defeated people walking up the steps of that church hearing, Oh, victory in Jesus. I can just imagine people walking up the steps of that church thinking nothing is right in my life, singing the song, It is well, it is well with my soul. Man, I'm standing there on the porch of that church right there with my son. And I'm thinking, oh, good night. <laughs> this is the lowest point in my life. I feel like I'm the one that needs to be walking out of that building into this. When I finally felt like, okay, there's nothing else to see here, me and Joseph, we walked down the steps, and I glanced over to my left, and, and Joe, don't put it up just yet. I glanced over to my left and I saw some weeds that had grown over something and as I walked past it, I realized it was a sign. Not a sign from God, but a sign. <laughs> okay. And um, so uh, I said, Joe, look at this. We went over and we pushed the weeds away from the sign in front of the chapel. And Joe, go ahead and put up that. <laughs> Would anybody like to say praise the Lord? <laughs> praise the Lord. And, uh, <laughs> all I know to tell you right now is this, that no matter how low you go, God will always put a chapel of hope. He'll always put a chapel of hope. Always. I want to encourage you maybe this week to go back to Romans 15 and read um, verses 8 and following. Park there on verse 13. And if you're discouraged and down today, let God take verse 13 and let Him really do something on the inside of you. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I sure appreciate your attention. I really, really do. And I think I preached a little longer than I had intended to. And I appreciate your patience with me on that. It is my prayer that maybe somebody who is very down and discouraged today could see that God is truly the God of hope. 